You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. If you're wondering later on during our meal, what am I going to share? I don't know. What can I be thankful for? You've just sung four songs that will help you. Grab a lyric from there or gaze on one of the lyrics here, and uh, we've got much to praise the Lord for, even if just those in those songs that we've been singing together. I want to invite you to head to your scriptures in Romans chapter 15. We're still in, kind of wrapping up today, the last couple verses of this chapter 15 before we get into our last chapter of 16. On your way there, I've got a kind of a unique picture from last week. This one is not drawn by any of you, but last week I think I called out, I said, if anybody wants to research where this cross that's on the front of your bulletin, I have no idea where this picture is from. Well, Devin Voigt, I don't think he's even here today, researched and said, I did my assignment, here it is, and he found this. So I'm like, awesome. So this is the back side. Your bulletin has kind of the front side. You can still see the little wire there. I'm just going to read this because it's kind of interesting. It's not long. From... This is from the website Atlas Obscura. Sounds like obscure places. This is one of them. This is a sunken cemetery in Katarman, Philippines. Uh, A cemetery in the town it served uh, sinks beneath the sea during the volcanic birth of Mount Vulcan. Uh, It says there are no flowers or gravestones to mark the resting places of the lost citizens of Camaguin. Only a giant cross rising up out of the water to mark where this place of rest once was. In the 1870s, a volcano near this place erupted. You can kind of see the, I don't have the whole picture there, but I think it's to the left, maybe that one. It erupted, caused the cemetery along with the capital city surrounding it to sink below sea level. In order to commemorate this place of loss, a looming cross was built in remembrance. Visitors all over the Philippines and the world come to admire this man-made marvel. Well, more like... I mean, God made, but yes, the cross filled with legend and enchantment is what they say. So good job, Devin, uh, on this. And find, isn't that kind of interesting, though, that this tethered to Christ is built over, maybe even our illustration, built over a cemetery, died dead to Christ, uh, dead to sin, I'm sorry, dead to sin, alive in Christ to go be tethered to him and go preach the gospel. So you can look up more. I think people go scuba diving there. You can see the cemetery under the water. It's not all that deep, but... Pretty interesting. Well, that brings us here, being tethered to Christ, to these last couple verses of chapter 15. And I want to start in verse 30. We'll read 31, 32, and 33. Let's listen to God's word. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray again before we proceed. Lord, we come to you right now as we open up this, your word, before us. Again, acknowledging without your spirit, we cannot understand. So we pray that you would work in this time once again 
You are so gracious, Lord. Every week of the year as we've come to study, and as we come to study your word on our own and we read from it and glean from it, that you use your word in our hearts by your spirit to grow us. Sometimes it's very slow, maybe imperceptible, but there is growth. And there is growth through suffering. There is growth through great blessings and even the blessing of suffering. And Lord, we want to praise you this week especially for uh, how you work every day in our lives. And Lord, as we come to your word now, we just pray that we would glean from it what you would have for us, what specific area you might just uh, put light on in the hearts of your people. So we pray that, Lord, you would shine brightly through your word, through me preaching it today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we're in kind of a third uh, section here of a series, that series called a gospel, uh, gospel Ministry is Tethered to Christ. We've looked at, our, week one, we looked at um, the target of ministry for Paul. We're not surprised. His target, his aim is Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's his goal and his aim. We looked at that in verses 14 through 21. Last week, we looked at the sharing of ministry, so target of ministry, then the the sharing of ministry, Paul, and his longing to go visit the Roman church on his way to share Christ to places unknown to Spain, and all this after he had shared a gift, a contribution to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. This week, the emphasis is on prayer. Specifically, it's a prayer request that comes from Paul himself, and it's an, it's an urging. There's an appeal to the church at Rome, pray for me. And that's what we want to look at here. So let's come back to text verse 30 again in this appeal. So Paul begins, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. It's really the second of three appeals from chapters 12 to 16. In chapter 12, you might remember verse 1, Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, it's kind of the same wording, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we looked at in that whole section, 12 to 15, verse 13, this living, sacrificial living to the glory of God. I appeal to you. Here, Paul's appeal is to the brothers to pray. We'll see that. But then at the end, even if you gaze at chapter 16, verse uh, 17, you've got it there as well, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. That's like a, a warning there in verse 17. So we're kind of in the middle of these appeals, but verse 30, you've got this appeal, this urging and, and, and exhortation for the Roman church to pray for Paul. We're going to look at that prayer exhortation in a bit, but Paul prefaces his prayer request by two things here. See if you see them in the text. So he's going to ask them to, he's going to call on them to request them to pray, but he, but he gives these two kind of bases for his appeal. Number one, Paul appeals by our Lord Jesus Christ. By our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and the church in Rome have the same Lord. He calls them our Lord. And this Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, links Paul to the Romans. He's never met them, but they have this link in Christ. This Lord is Paul's foundation for ministry. 
And Jesus is the basis upon which Paul's going to appeal to the Romans for prayer. And it's kind of like hard, maybe hard to understand. How does this, what, what appeal, what's going on? There, there seems to be some, some emphasis of authority, or maybe he's calling on the name of the Lord. Matthew Henry paraphrases Paul here, speaking of the Lord, and I think it's helpful for us. He's, this is kind of a paraphrase of what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, he's my master. I'm going about his work. That is the Lord's work. I'm going about his work, and his glory is interested in the success of it. So like to the Romans, if you have any regard to Jesus Christ and to his cause and kingdom, pray for me. You love Christ. You own Christ. For his sake, then, do me this kindness. And so it's kind of this, this authority, this, do you have an interest in the Lord's work, then pray for me. This is God's work going on. And so these followers of Christ, they're urged to pray for the ministry of Paul, which is really the ministry of Christ. Secondly, in the other part there, it's by our Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul appeals to this love of the Spirit, by the love of the Spirit. We might say, what's going on? What's this love of the Spirit? Here, a couple other scriptures are helpful. You can write down the reference. Romans 5.5 5 is one of them. It says this, says, God's love, remember, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Holy Spirit pours in God's love. So Paul's appealing the same, this love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, it's the first one, love. This is connected to the Spirit, this love of the Spirit. Calvin writes this, he says, the love of the Spirit is that by which Christ joins us together. For it is not that of the flesh nor of the world, but it is from His Spirit who is the bond of our unity. So Paul here, on the basis of the Lord and His kingdom and on the basis of mutual love, again, a people he's not met, but they're in Christ, the love of His brethren. I appeal to you, brothers. So he asked them to pray. And that's the second part of verse 30. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The ESV, at least, you've got strive together. I think I might say that in the King James and the NIV, it says join, join together, I think. It could say contend with me in prayer or uh, fight along with me in prayer. It's this picture of this Roman church coming alongside Paul in his ministry and what he's doing. Doug Moo writes this. He says, Though so many are unknown personally to him, Paul can nevertheless ask the Roman Christians to identify with him in his own struggle so that they might sincerely pray on his behalf. As Calvin remarks, Paul, quote, shows how the godly ought to pray for their brethren, that they are to assume their person as though they were placed in the same difficulties. You see that idea, contend with, strive together with, join with. There's this, in the love of the Spirit, our, our Lord, Paul's ministry. He's saying, come alongside with me in this ministry. And isn't that what we're doing when we pray for one another? When we pray as brothers and sisters, Paul's asking, these ones, come alongside. How does he say, how do we come alongside a ministry? There's, there's monetary support, there's encouragement, encouraging letters, all those sorts of things. Here, it's prayer. 
I wonder if that's how you see prayer or praying for others is contending with, striving together, coming alongside of. We are in a spiritual battle and one weapon in that battle is Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You know that song, what a privilege, what a divine gift to carry everything to God in prayer. It's a ministry. It's a calling. What just, I mean, think with me. What is the church like? What are our families like, our personal lives, to pray and to be prayed for? I think Paul, of all people, Paul's an apostle, and he sees this is important. He, I mean, theology, he knew everything, and yet he's saying, pray for me. Jesus himself would go about and pray. Why shouldn't we? J.C. Ryle would say, his question is pretty simple in three words. Do you pray? So there is a theology of prayer. You can look up the Scriptures and study all that and think on prayer. The question really though, to your heart and to my heart, coming up the the conviction of this, do you pray? We might say it's good. I might preach it's good. Do you? Do you actively practice prayer? Maybe in a closet, maybe while you're driving, maybe with a, a group on Wednesday night. It's a gift. It's a privilege. So we want to use it to pray. And Paul here is calling the church to pray. What does it look like for us to pray for one another even? So Paul asks for their prayer. And then in verse 31, he gets to a specific request. This is not an unspoken. I have something going on. I'd just rather not talk to you about it or not say. Paul speaks and he says, here's my request He lets them know what he's going to ask for. Look at the first part of verse 31. As he prays, here's one the first. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul's asking them, pray that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Once again, we get the lay of the land, where we're at geography-wise, that sort of thing. Paul, presumably he's writing to the Romans from Corinth. And he's about to head down, if you kind of go down, back down to Jerusalem. That's where he's on his way to with these contributions from Macedonia and Achaia, which is really Corinth area, that area. He's got these, I think these monies, these gifts for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Same thing, he's, he's on his way and he senses there's danger that awaits him there. He's, he's asking them to pray. Uh, he stops by Ephesus on his journey back to Jerusalem Here's what he says to the elders there. He says, Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh, what an outlook. You know, that he, where he's going and what he's looking towards. But Paul knew where he was going and he was willing to take the risk to go there. John Piper writes, he's written a book called Risk is Right. He says this in there. He says, Paul had decided to risk his life in Jerusalem with the full knowledge of what it might be like. goes on to say, Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. Safety was a mirage. It didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. 
he had two choices, waste his life or live with risk. And he answered this choice clearly. And the clear answer is in Acts 20, verse 24. I'll just read it to you. So after all this, he's talking to the elders there in Ephesus. I, I, danger awaits. I, I, the Holy Spirit testifies, imprisonment, afflictions. And he says this, though. May it be our hearts. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what Paul was willing, willing to risk his life for. Not just to be risky or to get on the cover of Jerusalem Monthly, you know, to look at this apostle guy. His mission was the gospel. Christ, that's his target and his aim all the way into danger. But, even though Paul's willing to die for this cause, here, it's a prayer request. Pray for me that I might be delivered. So I don't think Paul, he was on a, you know, like a kamikaze mission or fatalistic, like, whatever's going to be, will be. I just don't, I don't know if I'll die. Maybe I will. He's saying, pray for me. He, he would entrust himself, however the Lord would lead, but pray for me. Pray that I be delivered. I'm going to still go. He's going to take the gift. He'd walk into danger. He'd take the risk, and he would seek that the church would pray. Request number two, second part of verse 31, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So he's praying that I be delivered from the unbelievers, and then number two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to to the saints. We might ask here, what does Paul mean by this? One writer, I think, said, if you brought a gift, wouldn't you automatically be welcome? What, what's he talking about here? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be accepted bringing this gift to Jerusalem and the poor saints? Wouldn't they say, awesome, thank you, you're accepted, but why this here? Two, two answers, I think, both, I think, are, are part of this. One here, Paul might anticipate in Jerusalem that there were Jewish Christians there. Those that would claim Christ, but Jewish Christians. They may balk, you know, they may look at Gentiles giving to them or taking part in ministry. Paul being sent to the Gentiles, and maybe Paul had reason to believe there's some racial tensions between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile. He's talked about them, the, you know, the two here throughout the book of Romans, the Jew and the, the Greek. Maybe he expects there's some tension there with the people. Doug Moo makes this observation. He says, The distrust of Paul and his law-free gospel among Jewish Christians themselves was great enough to give him ample reason for the concern he expresses here. For while Paul's relationships with the Jerusalem apostles were apparently cordial enough at this point, his own letters reveal that various conservative Jewish Christian groups continued to be hostile toward him. So relationally, I think he's got some hesitations. He's bringing contributions from Gentiles. Will they be accepted? But also, I think in mind is another place talking about this, and that's in 2 Corinthians. If you would turn there, it's not that far. You're almost to 1 Corinthians if you keep going right. And then just find 2 Corinthians and go to chapter 9. I believe it's Acts that talks about this 
gift that Paul's taking Jerusalem and also 2 Corinthians 9. It's really, you want to learn about this and study it, it's, there's, there's ample material here to see what's going on. It's kind of a big deal. It takes up quite a bit of scripture here. If you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at 12 through 15. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. It's regarding this, I think, the same gift that he's taking or that he's talking about to the Romans, the same gift that he's taking to Jerusalem. He's delivering it there. And I think these verses, I think they shed light. Give us a glimpse, Paul, what are you requesting here that, that it would be um, that the service to the saints in Jerusalem would be acceptable to them or, or it would be good to receive. They would receive it well, maybe that idea. Look at what he says in verses 12 through 15 here. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also, so the needs are met, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Here's verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What did Paul envision in this gift? I think there's some glimpses here. I think he envisions an overflow of thanksgiving perhaps even from those in Jerusalem, that the thanks would overflow. The poor saints are provided for. And what comes out? Thanksgiving. Or, uh, verse 13, that God would be glorified. Or later on, that the gospel is confessed in these good works. As these good works and this gift comes, the gospel's confessed. The gospel's made known through these good works. And that I think even... Perhaps the Jerusalem's or the, the saints in Jerusalem would pray for the Corinthians. That in, in turn it in turn turns it around to pray for them. I think we're we're given a glimpse of that, what, what that service looks like. If you head back then to verse thirty one, I wonder here if Paul doesn't have these goals in mind in terms of this service being acceptable to the saints. That yes, relationally there would be this this bond. And then even spiritually, thanksgiving, glory, the gospel confessed, praises, and even prayer for others. But then verse 32 brings Paul's prayer request back around to coming to Rome. We're kind of back to that theme again in verse 32 where, it said, where then he says, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul's praying here, deliverance from the unbelievers, that my service would be acceptable, and then you've got to sow that. It's a, it's a purpose. What's the purpose? I want to be delivered. I want to give the gift. I hope it's successful. successful. And the purpose here of Paul, that he would come to Rome in joy. And I think the main word here is be refreshed in their company. He wants to come in joy, which if they accept the gift and he's delivered... He will come in joy. If not, if he's killed, well, I guess he's not coming there. He'll be in joy in the kingdom of Christ, but not coming there. But he wants to come in joy and be restored, or refreshed in their company. 
refreshed in your company. Again, I don't think this means Paul saying, I'm looking forward to a vacation at an Airbnb all by myself, is it? His refreshment comes from the company, the people, the saints in Rome. That's what he's looking towards. That this time with the saints would be refreshing for Paul. I want you to note here, near the beginning of verse 32, Paul prays that this would be the will of God, so that by God's will I may come. You think of the Lord's Prayer, it goes like this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Paul's looking to God's will. We need to say, ultimately, God will accomplish, he will do his perfect will, that what God ordains shall come to pass. And yet, God also, He works through means, in this case, means of prayer and supplication because God invites us to pray, pray without ceasing. So they're both true. God's will will be done. Every hour, every minute, every second, every second of this morning, God's will, what He's ordained, has come to pass. And it's also part of God's will. You just hold them together that His people would pray, that they would seek Him. God ordaining all things doesn't, it's been said, doesn't cancel our prayer or make it meaningless. It actually brings it, makes it meaningful because it will happen. And so God's will will be accomplished and yet God's people ought to pray, seek Him. And we see this even in Romans. Remember Romans 8. The Spirit Himself will intercede with groans, with groanings. We might ask here, what's the, the rest of the story? What happened? Was this prayer answered? He had, he had prayed, I want to come and be refreshed, pray for deliverance. Was this answered? Well, Acts 28 is going to answer this, but before we read there in Acts, Paul did face danger when he got to Jerusalem. And it starts in Acts 21. You can read sometime else. You can read, start in 21. And it's kind of this whole story of him getting there and so forth all the way to 28. And it says in chapter 21 of Acts, verse 17, says, the brothers received us gladly. He was hoping service may be acceptable. I think there's an answer. They received gladly, him gladly. But while Paul is there, you're going to also read that the Jews seized Paul they dragged him out of the temple. They were seeking to kill him. This is at the, you know, him in Jerusalem here. The Roman tribune intervened, but then it was just like Jesus. Uh, the crowd cried out against Paul. He said, crowd, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he, shall not, he should not be allowed to live. That's Paul's reception in Jerusalem as well. Amongst, I think, the, the unbelievers. Well, right before the Romans are about to flog him, Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship. And on it goes, the, the trial, and there are different things that happen. Um, but through this account, all the way to chapter 28, eight chapters worth, God is at work, and he's protecting Paul. One of them, I remember the story, uh, was it a nephew of Paul? Somebody says, hey, these Jews are ambushed. They're going to ambush to get you. Uh, you know, and so they, they tell the leadership, and Paul say there's just lots of ways in which God is ordaining. Probably not how Paul envisioned, although he knew there was danger, but God was at work here, protecting Paul. And all the way where you get to Acts 28, second part of verse 14 through 16 records he finally made it to Rome. 
And it says there, and so we came to Rome. Luke writing here. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Let's show that we've got, I've got one map of this journey. The reason I show it, one is, it's a map. It's fun to show where are we once again. But what could you put over this line? And you could put all of Paul's other journeys in this line. It's God's protection along the way, his deliverance, and his, ultimately his plan. Um, I think even whether Paul made it to Spain, maybe theologians are mixed, maybe he finally got there or not, that sort of thing. But here he starts, Jerusalem, on the way right side, up and around and on the boat. You get to Crete, and then you get all the storm. Malta over there, that's the shipwreck. All, this, all these places, God is delivering Paul until eventually you've got the Forum of Appius, three taverns, and into Rome on house arrest. Who could have envisioned such a plan for Paul to get to Rome via all this? But God had a plan, and through, I would say, through the prayers of a church like Rome, brought Paul to Rome. God used the praying of the people. And so we must pray, strive alongside one another in prayer. And, and in the midst of this, submit to God's greater will. We say that. Lord, we pray this would, we would be delivered, or this person would come to know you, or we pray these things. Ultimately, thy will be done. We're not trying to manipulate God. We can't. I think we see here an answer to prayer, at least in this case here. Paul concludes then, kind of in an interesting way, concludes chapter 15 with his own prayer of blessing of sorts. Look at verse 33 then lastly. He says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace be with you all. Let me just do a quick run through of Romans. Paul began Romans with a greeting sounding like this. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, where this God of peace is also called the God of hope, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the God, this God of peace, whose redemption, his justification in Christ Jesus makes for peace where sinful man does not deserve that peace, deserve wrath. As we sing about, God's wrath is completely satisfied. This God of peace satisfies His wrath bore on His Son that we might have peace with God. And He's the God of peace to our fearful, our worried, our what will happen in the future souls. Jesus says this in John 14 says to his disciples, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Spirit of peace would come. And He dwells in every believer. He's given us the remembrance. He's given us the Word. This Bible where we can read promises like Hebrews chapter 13 where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's may the God of peace be with you all. Interesting for the church at Rome. Say Paul had never been there, or actually he's writing this letter. They're getting this letter. Paul's not there presently. Wouldn't it be great to have Paul there? This peace, whether or not Paul would ever make it to Rome, this verse is true in Christ. Paul doesn't have to get there for it to be true because this church had something better and more sure than Paul getting there. Paul, when he got there, they would mutually encourage one another, build one another up in the faith, but it was this, this God's presence here, His immediate presence by His Spirit in Christ that was already with them and is with all of you who are in Christ. May the God of peace be with you all. How is He with us? We're, just, we're on the verge of the next season. I'm, I'm not personally playing the Christmas music yet, but it's coming in that season of Emmanuel. God with us. This verse 33 is sure by God's Spirit in Christ. All right, well, a couple concluding thoughts here, just a couple of brief thoughts as we look over just these verses here. Number one, be thankful. That's what we're going to do today. Have you seen God answer prayer in your life this year? Have you seen that? Have you seen His deliverance? Have you seen His gracious hand in your life? Uh, I think it's Colossians talks about being watchful in prayer. Be watchful for how God is working. Today is one part of that of celebrating God's work. Probably not every answer. God has not answered according to your will. Praise the Lord. But God is at work. He's hearing. He's answering And I want to encourage you in our time together, every age, to give glory to what God has done to say, I prayed, I sought the Lord, I saw this. Fill in the blank. So be thankful. Number two, be prayerful. Hope through this today, the encouragement is, do you pray? Pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says there, continue steadfastly in prayer. Maybe it says steadfastly because prayer is work. It is challenging. I'm going to pray, and now I'm thinking I should work on that water softener or whatever else it is, and we're distracted. Pray steadfastly, and he says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I would just encourage you, even this week, are there things this week, places you will go this particular week where you will travel to, or you will stay here and family will come join you here, where, where it would be good to pray. You can picture that conversation or this event or this person's going to be there and we haven't seen them since last Thanksgiving and I don't know how it's all going to... Can I just encourage you? Pray. And perhaps even let me just encourage you a step further. Find somebody here to pray for you, to contend with you this very week. 
Maybe we're not thinking six months out. This week, I have this coming up. Your prayer request today of Melanie down in Memphis and, and elsewhere that you've shared are for us to contend, to come alongside in prayer. We can do that in Tennessee or wherever they're at, Kentucky, Tennessee, or wherever. Memphis, yeah. Contend with one another in prayer. So be prayerful. Maybe ask somebody that God puts on your mind if you can pray for them this week. And then number three, of course, lastly, be at peace. Be thankful, be prayerful, be at peace. The, the surety, again, of verse 33 is found in Christ Jesus. It's his blood that satisfies the wrath of God that we might be at peace with God through faith. And it's the same God that he's given us his spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. I encourage you, believer, don't wait for Paul to get to Rome. Don't wait for something. Enjoy present peace today by faith in Christ. And let that encourage you to seek him and then pray that the Lord's peace would be with others and pray for them in their need. So let's do that. Let's pray as we close. Lord, what would it look like for us, including the preacher, to spend much more time in prayer? Father, again, the reminder of that quote of the, I think it was maybe Luther, who had so much to do in a day, he needed to spend at least a couple hours in prayer that morning. Father, may, may this church, I'm just praying on our behalf, would you help us to be characterized as a praying church? To the world, this is not flashy. There's no lights. There's no music. It's calling on you. It's prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of adoration, prayers to confess our sins, and prayers to say, Lord, would you, would you help us? We don't know what to do in this decision. We don't know how to deal with this particular person. We don't know where to go in this. We don't know what, but you, we know who, and it's you. So I pray, Lord, for each household here, for each person, whether they're so young, they're drawing pictures with crayons today, or they've got gray hair, that we would be seeking you in prayer. That we could answer J.C. Ryle when he says, do you pray? We'd say, yes, we do. We're not perfect, Lord, but I pray that we would be striving towards that. And where we need to cut out things that are so meaningless and so unproductive and splice in more prayer, help us to do that. We pray this in your name. listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.